Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, we will welcome Sean Boyce. Sean is an expert product builder that helps companies, large and small, realize their vision when developing and owning world-class SaaS products without needing to make all the mistakes that typically think most product companies. Sean has successfully scaled his own product companies. These include Staff Geek and Podcast Chef. Today, through Next Step, Sean helps B2B SaaS businesses build the products that matter most for their target audiences. On this episode of Scouting for Growth, we will be targeting effective product design. In the world of decentralized finance, representing today over $28 billion USD of investment funding with over 2,500 startups developing solutions for the sector. Decentralized finance or DeFi refers to a financial system built on top of the blockchain that aims to make traditional financial products more effective, more accessible, and inclusive for all. The decentralized nature of DeFi means that there are no intermediaries such as banks or financial institutions involved in the process. So during the podcast, we decided to cover FigTech Trends, Automation, RoboAdvice, and ChatGPT. We will look into the market challenges and what is happening within current capital access needs, why it is essential to democratize access to drive financial inclusion, and Sean will share some thoughts on how to build good SaaS-based B2B product offerings. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it, and provide a comment here below. If there is a topic that needs to be addressed, just send me a note using as well the information made available below. With no further ado, let's bring Sean in. Hi. Hello, Sean. Hello. How, are you? how are you? Doing I'm very, very well. well. It's superb to have you today on Scouting for Growth. Thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. So to get started, Sean, it would be great to hear uh, who you are, what you do every day. I know product design is one and, and execution of the, of the product and the scaling of the product is one of your key uh, attributes. But it would be great to know what got you there and how you actually build next step. Very good and will do. Thank you again for the opportunity. So in short, I help people and companies build and scale B2B SaaS businesses. So selling business to business software as a service companies, uh, heavily in software, which is a big part of my background, studied software engineering. And over time, as I also was technical, what I really fell in love with was better understanding customers' challenges, needs, the progress they were trying to make, jobs to be done type framework elements to understand how I could make their lives better, solve their problems and challenges through technology. So that's what I'm very passionate in and excited about. I do that work both for growing and scaling companies to help them solve product-related challenges. And I've built several software businesses of my own and continue to do so to this day. 
So what got you into that specific area of product design, software design, SaaS model design? So, you know, AR and RR, um, you know, recurring revenue models. Uh, tell us about your past. Um, you know, what got you here? Will do. Great question. And I'll do my best to keep it brief, but you'll hold me accountable. <laughs> so uh, always been involved in technology. I've just been fascinated by it. My, my brain and it just kind of always... I was always drawn to the technical elements, both hardware and software, but I got very excited about the possibilities of software earlier on in my career, in particular automation, which is something I've followed pretty closely over time and look to incorporate in anything that it was that I do, because it has the opportunity to put the people in the process in a better position to be able to leverage the technology and software to make incredible leap forwards and progress. So I've always looked for opportunities to kind of automate the time-consuming but error-prone elements of any processes that we ultimately might need to do so that the uh, people can leverage the technology in a better and more empowering way so they can make considerable progress with a lot less resources much, much faster. So that was what I was ultimately gravitated to over time. And I spent time working both in corporate and much time in startups, and then ultimately building those companies of my own across various industries tech and finance are two big uh, elements of my background and career. Um, I studied engineering at the university level and then have a graduate degree and master's in business, in particular in finance. And I've leveraged a lot of that background to really focus on what's been probably the most heavily invested in element, which is research and discovery. I like to spend time diving deep into industries, spending time with subject matter expertise, and better understanding from them the progress they're trying to make and what's holding them back from making that progress. Usually there's a bottleneck in the process somewhere. And that bottleneck, I look to try to figure out what is the fastest, most cost-effective way that I can leverage technology or put a strategy in place, which enables them to make considerable progress in a much shorter period of time, much more cost-effectively than however they're trying to solve that problem today. And that's how I look to generate value and help other companies figure out how to create that value to offer it back to customers. And then ultimately it provides the financial incentive back to the company, which helps them grow and scale and become more profitable as well. So when we look at automation and you mentioned that automation SaaS business model is one of your key uh, attributes and strengths. Um, when you look at the world of today, you know, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. And um, as you are coming from a finance background, what do you think are the most relevant use cases using artificial intelligence? I know in finance, robot advice is one of the big use cases, which still today is being, you know, moving to the next phase, right? To actually drive that mass market uh, wealth uh, enablement of um, of populations around the world. So that would be the first aspect. And then I would love for you to dive into what everybody is talking about right now, ChatGPT. Great question. And absolutely. So as part of the, my background and career in finance, I worked for a number of years at the Vanguard Group uh, mutual fund giant, provides a lot of financial assets, help people with retirement, any number of things there. And I did pretty much everything that you could be responsible for in technology while I was there. And that included working on projects related to robo-advisory, which was some of the more interesting things that we were doing in addition to the other automation work that I was doing largely on the technical operations side, have helping the organization become more operationally efficient. But the robo-advisory component, I think was super interesting 
as a seemingly kind of automation slash artificial intelligence element of how do we push the industry forward? How do we democratize access to information to make it easier for larger numbers of people to take advantage of the information that can help them build a more secure financial future for themselves and their families. And I think Vanguard was often leading the charge in making investments there, and it was exciting to be part of that. So that's those are some examples of some of the work that we were doing. And then you mentioned a few others as well, too. Something that I've been researching pretty significantly lately is the latest to come out of uh, the company OpenAI in ChatGPT and what that product is capable of, which is pretty remarkable. And it's made its way around the world relatively quickly since they've released some of their latest updates in terms of what it's capable of. And that is uh, really interesting in terms of the implications for what that technology is capable of as well. Also, I think we're likely to see kind of a new gold rush leveraging tools like that based on what people have been able to see it's capable of in order to use as a tool or a component to building other tools and resources for people to get a lot of value out of, you know, not excluding industries like finance, where there's a lot of applications where we can leverage what the evolution in these tools are capable of now to provide even more value for people. So what are the use cases, you know, you, you see already uh, emerging, leveraging ChatGPT? You said it's going to be the underlying capability enabling a lot of things, right? And, you know, you have two camps. Um, I think the the the, the ChatGPT er, um, and we have not even seen what ChatGPT four will look like. And then you also have the doubters, and you know I'm probably in between because I do play with the tool and I do ask it questions, and I think sometimes I feel it's easier and quicker to actually start putting a pen to paper. Actually, when you actually have so much to get done, at the same time, you know we have had issue around plagiarism the tool being used to build malware, you know, security breaches, and so on and so forth. So what's your view as to what will be the best application of the tool um, generated by ChatGPT? Great question. Much of that is still be to be determined, and that's what's really exciting about what this tools, what tools like ChatGPT are capable of, is it starts to enable people to think through how they can use it based on better understanding its capabilities. So we've seen uh, some interesting use cases already thus far in terms of what people are using the tool for. And I've seen everything from, you know, automating significant time consuming elements of content creation and copywriting and things like that, all the way to and through actually using it to write code for you to almost build features and applications using building blocks as opposed to having to write anything in custom fashion. But I think one of the most revolutionary elements of a tool like ChatGPT is it enables you, it's a really a leap forward in progress in terms of how we access information or it's going to be when it continues to get polished. And you mentioned some of the some of the limitations at the moment where the tool is kind of rough around the edges, uh, so to speak at the moment, but I'm fully expecting that to get better relatively quickly. But it's a different way to access information as opposed to what is probably most people's primary go-to strategy, which is to leverage a search engine like Google, where I ask a question and I'm presented with results, but I'm presented with a list of results. And I may or may not get what it was I'm looking for based on how I asked the question and whether or not that information is out there accessible and available, because it may or may not be just yet. With ChatGPT, I think one of the most interesting components of it is, as opposed to a point in time or having to almost guess the right question, you can ask 
basically like follow-up questions and almost like subsequent queries to it in order to get your results more refined and make them more malleable into what it is that you're ultimately looking for. I think that's particularly interesting because it becomes more and more customized to the information that you're looking for. And you can maintain that history as well too, which is really interesting. So instead of presenting you with a list of options, you're presented with one response. And then with that one response, you're able to kind of respond from there in order to get it into whatever format you would ultimately like it to be. And that I've studied pretty significantly in terms of the psychology of how people use software and design choice and things like that. There've been run experiments in supermarkets and things like that, where if you're providing free samples and you provide an option of three, as opposed to 15, when people are presented with those options, they choose more volume-wise when you give them less choices than if you were to give them more choices. It can be somewhat counterintuitive. So whenever possible, making processes like that that are really important simpler ultimately makes them more effective as well. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so, I mean, I guess still we are still in that automation and I guess with uh, the capability which is made available with such type of tools, we can still do the engagement and we still can do the analysis um, as well. Now I wanted to ask you, Sean, you have been in finance for, for a while as well as you have been building products with young businesses. What is for you the, the biggest challenge we face? You know, this year is going to be an interesting year for many startups which are trying to raise capital. And um, we are seeing already, um, you know, some startup finding it difficult to raise, but also looking at other options like M&A, if they cannot raise a capital. What do you think is the biggest challenge we are going to face um, in, in future years, or at least this year? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what's interesting is as the markets cycle through their various phases, and I know it's an uncertain time economically at the moment, tech's going through a rough patch and money is no longer as cheap as it once was. Interest rates are rising. Inflation is rising. This isn't just happening, you know, in certain countries, it's, it's affecting almost the entire globe that really has a, a, a dramatic, can have a dramatic impact on the markets and ultimately how, who is trying to innovate and invest in their companies has to update or evolve whatever their strategy was going to be based on what that means, what the implications of those changes are for their organization. So as I think is money no longer is as accessible or as cheap as it once was, that makes the process of fundraising or gaining access to the capital that you might need to do what it is that you want, probably a little bit more difficult. That probably raises the bar for ultimately who is going to receive what, how much capital and when based on the phase of the progress that you've ultimately made. Um, making the competition a little bit more fierce. So I think that's probably something to take away from it. I'm always a pretty strong advocate for wanting the balance of power to be more so in the innovators kind of corner, as opposed to um, the investor community or where you're going to be sourcing the capital from. And I think a more effective way to do that is try to make as much progress as you can on your own or the resources that you have, which isn't always easy to do. But if it's something that you can do, it ends up being pretty significantly advantageous if you're able to do so successfully because a lot of things ultimately wind up uh, in your favor, like the control of what it is that you're doing, the amount of time that you have to invest in what it is you're trying to build. And then in the end, uh, in the end, ultimately, when you're trying to negotiate with trying to raise additional capital as well too, 
you end up being able to kind of negotiate more so from a, a position of power, which is difficult for, especially those trying to do something in particular early stage. So all of those are going to have pretty significant implications. They already are, to your point, in terms of what these companies have been able to do. Um, and there's probably likely more to come because it's looking at least now it's it's probably going to be an extended period of of going through this phase. Yeah, it's going to be an extended period. So, you know, a reason to move capital around as we, um, I guess, talked about in previous discussion, uh, Sean, um, is important. And the creation of digital currencies have been able to help balance equity worldwide. So what's your view as to how we can actually, following this comment, build uh, financial wealth for, uh, for the many leveraging technology and the right products offerings? Yeah, that's a good one as well. I think uh, based on the blockchain technology, cryptocurrency components that we've seen, obviously we've seen that gain in popularity significantly you know, over a period of years. And it had a lot of potential. I think it still does. Um, that exciting potential, unfortunately, kind of made some ultimately, you know, um, led its way to a number of stories where there were significant peaks and valleys as the technology was often looked at more as an opportunity to for like trying to become independently wealthy as investing in as an asset or investing in the currency ultimately as an asset as opposed to what the technology can do for ideally what it was originally potentially intended to do which i think and again it's the democratization of access of information and ultimately capital um quote from a colleague of mine often says you know that those that can kind of control access to capital ultimately get to determine its purpose. And I think that's where I'd like to see more of the capital be invested to drive greater impact and help the people that need it most. Quite a bit of the work that I do, even in finance, is for nonprofit organizations that have excellent missions to help a lot of people who need it most with something very important to them. A lot much of that is, you know, building a more secure financial future for them and help them end asset poverty and things like that. So I think technologies like these have the potential to ultimately disrupt in that way, but sometimes they're used for personal gain or simply invested into as an asset. And ultimately the the potential that they serve as a technology can kind of be overlooked or mispurposed potentially as well also. So that's where it's kind of um, undetermined at the moment, but the exciting potential of blockchain technology was you know the decentralized ledger making uh, more equitable equitable access to information because everyone at that point theoretically is supposed to be able to see all of the information as opposed to you know the many can see all of the information as opposed to only few who have very limited control and access in place to things like that so not uh not the access is very limited in that way but uh, implementations of the technology and things like cryptocurrency and things like that, I think also have potential to remove barriers to entry in terms of moving capital around so that there isn't, you know, an unlimited number of seemingly kind of gatekeepers or tolls that need to be paid as capital moves its way around the world. And that's what's super interesting from my perspective in terms of the democratization of access. But I think at the same time, you know, we the people have lost some confidence and in the system to be able to effectively do that because we've seen collapse of things like FTX and other uh, exchanges and things like that, where a significant amount of capital has gone missing or seemingly disappeared, which is, you know, realistically unacceptable. And it doesn't really inspire confidence and in potential future of that. So 
more work there for sure to be done. I know you build products and um, two of your own company includes Staff Geek and Podcast Chef. Can you tell us about those two initiatives and what is your formula to build um, offerings which generate recurring revenues? Absolutely, will do. So Staff Geek is a B2B SaaS product, so software as a service in HR tech. And it is an opportunity to be able to introduce cultural elements to your hiring process. So be able to kind of evaluate the soft skills in the hiring process, which are often greater predictors for long-term success. We build a software product which enables companies to be able to quantify their culture and then incorporate that in a data-driven way in their hiring process to the tune of great results thus far. And then Podcast Chef is a productized service company where we help uh, companies, particularly tech-oriented B2B uh, service companies with investing in strategically developing relationships and building a form of almost a referral engine, but doing so through a podcast, leveraging that to be able to connect with the personas in your target market, have great conversations, create great content, invest in and build these relationships, which ultimately is expected to lead to opportunities to work together if and when the time is right. So that's how, that's what, that's a little bit of background about uh, both of those companies. And to your follow-up question in terms of deciding what to work on, really from my perspective, it's about where is there an, what I call an obvious unmet need in the market somewhere and also a problem worth solving, which is an opportunity to bring a form of innovation to market, which can address and or solve that need or problem or what that particular target market is trying to make in terms of progress. And then figuring out whether or not we can bring a better solution to market to provide value for that persona or for that target market. So evaluate the problem, the impact that the problem causes, how they're solving that problem today, its level of effectiveness, and how much better I can solve that problem. Can I do it 10 times faster, cheaper, easier? If I can if I can see a way to leverage software technology in order to do that, then I've got a number of the components, at least on the earlier stage side of things, to better understand that I can generate and provide value to the customers. And then a portion of that value in terms of the return that they're getting can also be provided back as financial compensation to the company in order to generate profitability and grow successfully from there. Yeah. And so let's look at the, you know, the, the scenario we're looking at uh, just previously around digital currencies, blockchain, decentralized uh, ledger. So what are you think the good application of those technologies today, because they've had some bad rap, right, in recent months? And where do you think where we can take away the buzzword to to move to a world where um, those things connect together and actually start driving value for the customer? For sure. So I think the exciting potential of the decentralized ledger component and the democratization of access to information is very interesting. I think it has a potential to push a lot of industries forward in a major way. For example, as opposed to how the auditing process in the accounting industry operates today, which is almost exclusively historically looking, it could be much more real time because all of the information is available to everyone who has access to it. As such, potential significant disruption is is capable of there. And then down to the individual level, the opportunity for people to move capital around as they need to without having to lose a portion of it every time it goes through another toll and payment processor and bank and things like that who may not realistically be doing a whole lot in terms of managing it 
but just kind of own the underlying infrastructure in terms of how it needs to be sent today. That was, you know, one of the bigger ideas behind the advent of the internet is the democratization of access to information. I think it accomplished that in a major way. Uh, still some limitations there as well too, but moving currency around is another big kind of shoe to drop, so to speak. And I think this technology has the potential to enable that in a big way. Be able to move the capital around, ultimately determine what you ultimately want to do with it and uh, make it more accessible as well too for folks that may not have previously had the resources in order to be able to do that. In terms of essentially realizing that as a vision, I think some things that are probably going to need to change is everyone's going to need to be able to have a lot more confidence in the underlying infrastructure, their technology to be able to do that, to be able to do that safely. Uh, we simply can't have exchanges that, you know, billions of dollars or more just simply go missing because uh, clearly that doesn't inspire confidence and, you know, maybe some nefarious or activity going on there, which uh, people obviously don't want to be associated with. So one of the things I think is likely to be necessary in order for that confidence to come back is some form of a of a management component or something that introduces a system of control or oversight to a certain extent in terms of how that information you know ultimately is is moved around and, and who's doing what um of course that introduces its own level of complexity but seems to have worked at least uh fairly well from a stability perspective at least more so than what we've seen from crypto thus far for what is our existing system but something uh a balance wise will need to kind of probably be struck there in order to um have everyone have the same level of confidence that they do in their existing system. What do you think the future for um, this type of platform, you know, digital currency, um, digital currencies actually with an S, uh, the blockchain, uh, decentralized finance, where do you think this is going? I mean, as you mentioned, there's been some challenges in recent months, probably due to you know, greed and Ubers. Um, but where do you think the opportunity lies, actually, Sean? For sure. I'm really excited about the potential for the democratization of access. I've mentioned that several times. So that's where I would love to see progress continue to get made uh, to provide people with access that they didn't previously have. And I think with, you know, a number of changes or a little bit of evolution here, we can get there. Um, whenever new technology ultimately is developed and presented, it, it it's never necessarily perfect, especially in the beginning, but starts to give individuals and companies the idea about how they can leverage it to innovate, make the world a better place. And I think we're realistically just getting started there. But I see access becoming greater for a larger number of individuals that don't have access to it today, and also the ability for them to be able to determine more what its purpose can be as they are able to share more so in the ability to be able to control how they're able to kind of move it around. And that isn't quite as limited as it was before. So I think that's exciting potential there. So what would be your three takeaways from this chat? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So in terms of if you're looking to kind of build or scale a B2B SaaS type business, I would follow what is typically the process that I do in terms of where I've had success before and I've been plenty of opportunity to make mistakes. So I can help you skip some of that as well too, if you would like. But the first step really is understand whether or not you can identify what I refer to as a problem worth solving 
right? Better understand and evaluate the opportunity. Once you have greater context for that, figure out if you can provide a better solution than exists today currently on the market. And you could do so by a leap forward in progress, right? At least double or better, twice or more, faster, cheaper, easier. If you can, if you can see a path there where it's um, technically possible and feasible, then you can work towards bringing a solution to market as quickly and easily as possible and do so in as simple a fashion as you possibly can so that you can test and get value and feedback as frequently as possible as you're kind of building from there. Those are what I would recommend for folks looking to try to do more of this type of work. And if they have any questions for me about the process or how it may help them, more than welcome to reach out to me through my website at nextstep.io, which is nxtstep.io, or they can email me directly at sean at nextstep.io, and that's just s-e-a-n at nxtstep.io. Ah, superb. So, you know, what would be your last words of wisdom? It would be to continue to innovate. There is so much exciting technology out there today, and you can use this as building blocks to build things that are really fascinating and can help a lot of people that really need it. So figure out how you can use tools like ChatGPT, blockchain technology, whatever fascinates or interests you the most about solving problems and challenges that you're passionate about. Please continue to do so because the world needs your help. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for joining Thank you, us Fighting for Growth. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.